good morning, church. My name is Chris Wegman. I have the pleasure of being the student pastor here, which means I am with sixth grade through 12th grade uh, times, so pray for me for sure. Uh, but I'm going to be preaching this morning, so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. So if you have a hard copy, awesome, but there's no extra credit here. So if you have your phones, uh, I don't know, you know, if you trust yourself without doing the uh, do not disturb action, but open up the YouVersion Bible app to 1 Kings chapter 10. And then what I want to do also, just because I can a little bit, is to lean in to the second service so we don't get to see much because I'm always in students. Um, we tell our students every time that you have an opportunity every time you come to church to listen, to lean in and engage with the sermon and the music, or scarily, you don't have to do any of that. Um, so what I would say is if this is your least favorite time every week, this is the time where you can take a break, here's my challenge to you. Lean in today. Take notes. Engage with the sermon in a new way because I know that you're going to find life every time that you come to God's word. And that's the beautiful part about what we do here at Northway. Um, but First Kings is where we've been for the past month. And really, we are trying to get into the brain of the richest and wisest man ever to live in King Solomon. And what we've been doing is going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through his story. And next week, we're gonna end his story on a not so high note. But before we do that, today what I wanna do before we get into it is I wanna lay a theme for us. And this theme is, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. Like let that land for a bit. That's a big sentence. It's not about you. And so that's going to land in two very different ways, but both are going to be helpful for us this morning. Either that's convicting, so you're going to ask questions like, okay, have I made this life about me? Or really, let's just go last week since you've been to church. Have you made this last week all about you? Really not given God a lot of time, or even you've given God your time, but then you still make God about you. Have you made your job everything that you talk about in your family and in your marriage? Do you only talk about the things that you want? And here's where I can get everybody in this room, myself included. Every time you walk into this church, do you make this church about you? Do you make the music about you? We have four opportunities every week to sing a song that you either like or don't like, but it's not about you, is it? It's your opportunity to thank God for who he is. The beautiful part about that is that that's convicting and it's, you're gonna wrestle with that, but th there's also another side of it. There's a refreshing side to know that it's not about you because it's no longer about me having to perform to experience the grace of God. That video, the videos we just watched about the, the family going through leukemia, if they would have made that about them, only, the only thing that would have happened was stress, confusion, anger, but they were able to make it about the thing that it's always been about in God and his masterful plan to where now them, the three of them were saved and baptized in front of us this morning. It's not about us. It can't be about us. And in today's story and all that we're learning in Solomon, we know that it's not about him. All Solomon has been is just an obedient vessel. And today in 1 Kings chapter 10, I think we're gonna wrestle with this idea in knowing that it is not about us. It's all about the fact that I have all that I need in knowing Jesus. And so on your message map, I, I challenge you to take that out. It's your last chance to take some good notes, follow along in the sermon. 
We're going to be giving you three, three main points from the scripture and then two key takeaways for you to take into your week because I am more impressed, not that you know about this, the God that we serve, but that you know how that should change the way uh, your marriage happens every day. It should change the way we parent and it should change the way we walk throughout our lives. That's what we're after at Northway. We're after you knowing the Bible, but if you just know the Bible and you don't do anything about it, you're making that about you, aren't you? Right? I'm making it about me. So this morning, since it's not about us, and since it is all about the grace that God has given us, look what happens in verse 10. But before we do that, skip back to verse, uh, chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. In verses 4 and 5, you'll see, we talked about this last week, God is pretty straightforward with Solomon, isn't he? He's saying, hey Solomon, if you follow me, I will bless the kingdom of Israel beyond measure. You will never see a bigger blessing than what will happen if you follow me. But then verses six through nine is the opposite because God is a just God. He says, but if you don't, then these things will happen. And it's a scary revelation of the fact that God is saying, hey Solomon, you're doing great, but it's not about you. It's always been about me and you have to realize that or you're gonna lead your entire kingdom astray. So God's call for Solomon in, in 1 Kings chapter 3 is all about Solomon asking for wisdom instead of the fame, instead of the money. It was all about God working through him. And it begs the question for me in chapter 9 of why did God put that much pressure on a human being? Like, is God's plan for us to, for, for him to send us away and for us to massively fail and, and look back at God and say, I should have done it your way? No, God's plan is always, and if you're taking notes, good thing to write down, always for your good and always for his glory. So therefore, it's not so that he sends us away and that we fail. It's that only whenever we insert ourselves into God's plans, bad things seem to happen. So if we follow God and if we give him everything that we have, good things are gonna happen. God is going to bless us beyond measure. So look at uh, chapter 10 now knowing that the potential has been set, knowing that God's plan for us is to change the world through knowing Jesus, what happens when it's not about you? Look at verse one. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, which I did not know what that word meant. So some light Googling uh, means that that is just a large group of people with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on his mind. We meet two main characters in this story. The first one has been our main character this entire series, and that is Solomon. Solomon here, where do we meet him? Well, we meet him as king, just finished the temple, big deal. We've talked about that for weeks. And also, we learn from this chapter that Solomon is really famous. Solomon has, has a lot of fame around all over the world, but neither of those two things are about Solomon, are they? Solomon did not ask God to be famous. That was God's plan for Solomon, so that he could show Jesus to the kingdom, to the, show Jesus to the nations. So we have to be careful not to make our plans about us. This was God's plan for his life. So point number one on your message map, when it's not about you, God becomes famous through our lives. So here's what we get the chance to do every day. We get the chance to make him famous. 
We get the chance to point people towards Jesus and using our fame or using our popularity or our influence um, for the kingdom of God. And so maybe you're in this room and you were like me at some parts of my life where you work every single day at your job trying to gain influence. Or maybe you work every single day at your degree in college trying to gain influence when in reality what we should do is to trust God's plan enough to know that only God brings the influence. Because even if you worked so hard and you gained the influence by yourself, that influence wouldn't be God-honoring because he knows us, right? Maybe with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming around, you want to change your family. All you sinners, come to know Jesus. No, you don't have to do that. You can just trust God's plan, know that he is working something that's far beyond you, and walk in his way, right? Maybe you want success in your life. Obviously, all of us do, but God brings the success, and all we are called to be is obedient. So maybe what that means, church, is maybe you're in the room and you are purely exhausted, You're exhausted from the chase of trying to gain influence and success, and God is saying, hey, Chris, would you just trust me? Keep keep working hard unto the Lord, but trust me. It's not about you. It's about about me getting the glory. So the second main character we meet is the Queen of Sheba, and this would have been from southern Arabia, which is about 1,500 miles away from Solomon, which is a long journey with a lot of people, a lot of camels, a lot of spices, a lot of money, all this stuff. She came to gain wisdom and to hear of Solomon's God. Do you catch that in verse one? Look back at verse one. It says, concerning the name of the Lord. Bookmark that. If you're a Christian that believes you can write in your Bible, do that. And if you're not, that's funny, but you don't have to. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, it's just a Bible. You know, you can mark in it. Mark that up because that is what is the first thing on her mind is to say, you know what, I'm journeying all this way with all these people, why? A little bit because I have questions, but mostly concerning the name of your God. That's incredible. How far, here's the question that begs us, how far are you willing to go to learn and to gain wisdom? Because the second point on your map here today is when it's not about you, you live in humility. And I've been in church a long time. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid, so that means that I've been in church a long, long time. And church people, Christians, we should be marked by humility, shouldn't we? There's nothing we should know more of than how to be humble. Because nothing we've gained has anything to do with us. Okay, so I have a two-year-old son who is the best. I love my son, Jack. What have I gained in order to deserve him, in order to, for God to entrust me with him? You know what I've done? 31 years of sin is exactly what I've done. What have I gained in order to have a job or a wife or money or, or anything in this world? I've, I've just, that, that whole 31 years of sin thing is what I've done. None of us deserve the things that we have besides who God is. So we live in humility. We should be marked by it to know that it's not by us, but only through God's grace and provisions. Surely, think about the Queen of Sheba here. She had to release thoughts of, this guy's a fraud. I mean, okay, Israel's getting a lot of popularity and all this stuff is happening, but this guy's a fake. Or she could have said, you know what? 
I'm rich. I can stay where I'm at. I don't need to go and figure out about this God. I'll serve my own God and do it my own way. But she didn't do that. So she is living in a humble state and going this far journey to understand what God might be doing. Look at verse three. It says, and Solomon answered her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Church, that has nothing to do with Solomon. Why? 1 Kings 3, 14. The call on, uh, of God on Solomon is that he would have wisdom. And here it's being portrayed as if none of this has to do with Solomon. We could, we could read this story. You could have come to church the past couple weeks and been led astray and to say, wow, Solomon is an awesome guy. No, no, he's just an obedient vessel who is being led by the awesome God, right? Solomon answered all their questions. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on the table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, underline that again, there was no more breath in her. She was shocked. So Solomon answered all the questions. The queen was impressed by everything around them, but here's where we see a little bit of her heart for her people. She sees the people that are supremely happy. She sees the delegation that's happening, the kingdom, the cupbearers. Everybody has their place. Everybody knows exactly what to do. The kingdom is being taken care of well. She sees all of these things. And, and for me, what we can infer about this is she's saying there's something different about this kingdom. I've been to a lot of kingdoms. I have a kingdom of my own, but there's something different about it. Verse five tells us what she thinks. The offerings that Solomon offered the Lord. Up until this point, Solomon's doing a really great job. And next week, we'll hear a little bit about the opposite of Solomon's life. But for now, he is offering everything up to the Lord, saying it's not by me, it is all about God. Look at verse six. And so she said to Solomon, the report that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, it was true. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She saw something different. You know what it was? The third point is when it's not about you, God will bring his blessings for his glory. He will use his blessings for his glory. And here's the greatest news, is that he never intended for you to get the glory for your things. And, and that is because not only is God a God, but he is also a heavenly father. He cares about his children. And he knows that what his children will do when we receive the glory, at least what I do, is I take it bite by bite. And I chew on it. And I make it all about me. And I go days and weeks and months without ever giving glory to God, either passively or actively. And what do I do? I get it fattened up with my own pride to where every day I go into church and I try to worship. But I haven't worshiped God for months. So why is it that every song I hear I can't sing to because I don't feel anything? pride. You think it's about you. I think it's about me. But, but here's what he's saying. He's going to use our blessings, his blessings, for his glory. So how would we take that glory? We know that it would never work. He is wanting to use our blessings for his glory. Here's what I've noticed about going to church for a long time, 
is I think some of us, um, even in the songs that we sing, we are really good about saying that God is faithful when things aren't going well. There's a whole music genre about it in Christian music. And what a powerful theology of knowing that God is near to the brokenhearted. And so this morning, if you are coming in on absolute empty, then it is such great news that it's not about you. Release everything you have and glorify God with what you do have instead of answering God, instead of asking God for things that you don't have yet. We were never used, we were never made for that glory. But we might be good at seeing the faithfulness of God in the bad times, but here's what I think we miss. When God actually answers the prayers is when we leave. We go on to the next thing, worrying immediately about the next thing, or we take the blessings and say, of course he did. Of course he did because I've been living a good life. I, you know, tie to the church. I go every Sunday. I try to be a good person. And all the while God is saying, no, that's not why I, that's not why I blessed you. Here Solomon has everything. Everything that we'll never even dream about. The, the, the popularity, the money, and yet still the queen of Sheba says, man, all this is great. But your people are well taken care of and the God that you serve is incredible. That's what he's wanting us to do. He's wanting to use our blessings. Look at verse nine. This is the verse, the most underlinable verse of this morning. This is what the queen of Sheba says. Blessed be the Lord your God. She could have said, wow, Solomon, this is great. You are doing an amazing job, but she doesn't. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and the word set here, underline that, set you on the throne of Israel. You know why that's important? It's because again, she even notices, hey, Solomon, this has nothing to do with you, man. God has delighted in you and has set you on the throne of Israel. Why are you here? Only because of God. Why are you having prosperity and success? Only because of God. And then here's this word delight. Church, this next week, if you just lived a life in order to delight God, if you did everything that you did in order that we would delight the Lord, how much better would our week look? How much different would we parent? I don't care about delighting in myself or delighting in my spouse or delighting in anything else in this world. The first thing I need to care about, my true north is glorifying God and everything else will be taken care of. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. He is going to take care of us. It is in his will. It is always going to be for our good and for his glory every time, every single time. She saw something different in him. Let us live a life that people are in awe of our relationship with God and not us. Uh, I grew up in Okeechobee, Florida, which if you know where Okeechobee is, yay. Uh, you know, we have a lake, I think. Um, and I was there from ninth grade to my first year in college. And that's where I really fell in love with youth ministry. It was the, the first time that I was able to use my gifts and was able to be beloved on by uh, leaders. And one of those leaders was named Emery Walker. And Emery was a, um, a guy in his late 60s, early 70s at the time. And he was a senior boys Sunday school teacher, which is insane, right? If you, if you haven't been around a senior boy recently, it is, it's a lot, okay? It's a lot to, to take in. Emery Walker, every morning, every single Sunday, would faithfully open up God's word 
and not care about the flash or the, the glitz of being creative, he would open up God's word and preach to us that God is good no matter what. And he would, he would always look at us and challenge us and say, if you're not living to, to glorify God, then you are missing it. And all the while, Emory Walker was a very successful businessman. Uh, he had a wonderful family. The Okeechobee is forever impacted by his life. And Emory passed away about a decade ago. And at his funeral, um, the biggest takeaway that we had was that Emory was faithful to God. And in his success on this earth, he was always so good about pointing the glory back to God. Every single time, he would faithfully open up God's word, and we could tell that he believed what he was preaching because of the way that he would act in everyday life. Emory Walker gave God the glory, honor, and praise constantly. So church, what if we did that this week? Because it's not about you, because it's all about what God has done for us, I want to give you two takeaways to live a life of humility. Because chances are you've heard a sermon about this and nothing I've said is new because the book of Ecclesiastes that our guy Solomon wrote said that. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything has been used before. But here's where it could be different. For hundreds of us in this room, it could be. Or it could be the exact same. We could go this next week doing absolutely nothing about our relationship with God and always being selfish because that's the way we wake up and until we affect our lives with the gospel, we will be selfish until we go to sleep. But it could change us in living a life of humility. The first way is to be more impressed with godly things instead of worldly things. Solomon here the first time we met Solomon was when he was asking for wisdom instead of worldly things. Instead of the riches that came, the fame, the riches, the prosperity were all God's blessings for him being an obedient vessel and saying, all I want to do is glorify you. We see this also through the queen to travel 1,500 miles, cared about her people enough to actually learn from somebody else. And Solomon's relationship with the Lord was at the forefront. Verse 1 uh, concerning the name of the Lord. Verse five, the, the sacrifices and offerings he gave. And then verse nine, blessed be the Lord your God. The beautiful part about this morning and that every time we meet with the Lord is that we have a God who is constantly revealing himself to us. He is constantly wanting to be known by us. We have his attention. We have his ear. Every day, God is trying to get your attention and say, Chris, spend more time with me. Chris, you may be struggling through this current predicament, but if you would spend time with me, you may see how my glory is still going to be there and how my presence is with you and I have a plan for you, but it's when we insert ourselves into the plans and we take over and we try to do things our way is when we are led astray. But we need to be more impressed with godly things. So parents, it begs the question, what are you impressed by? Because if you, if you are only impressed by sports or the things of this world, your kids will leave your house and only be impressed by sports and the things of this world. If you are only impressed by the, the money you have and the job that you do and the, the hard work that you have and the rules of life and the political stance you have, your kids will leave your house and only be interested in those things. But you know what Emory Walker did? 
He lived every day in love, so in love with Jesus that he was able to get through to senior boys and say, there is more to this life than the things you're gonna chase for the rest of it. It is all about God's glory and God's grace in our lives. Since this life can't be about you, Everything you have is a testament to him. Everything you have is an opportunity for you to glorify him. And so here's your main takeaway. You and I need to find new ways this week to glorify God. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah that says to find new strength. It doesn't say find the same strength that you had yesterday. Because yesterday's closeness with God is not enough for today's closeness with God. Today's closeness with God, this, is not enough for tomorrow's. Find new strength every single day. Gain more closeness with the Lord. Find new ways to be uh, grateful and show thankfulness to God. Every chance you get, you should be glorifying God in everything you say and do. So the first one is be more impressed with godly things. The second one is simple, and it is to fix your eyes. Solomon almost makes it in this story. He almost makes it. Next week, we're going to learn about his uh, downfall. But Solomon did not fix his eyes on Jesus. And really, it's not about Solomon until he made it about Solomon. And he gets another chance here. He writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is the first book that I fell in love with as a teenager. It's one that I always tell my students to read. But if you haven't read it, it is some of the most plain language the Bible ever says. And it simply says, I have tried everything under the sun, and nothing will satisfy me. And then Solomon doubles down and gives us 13 chapters worth of proof. He says, oh, I've tried being the king, which none of us will be. I've tried being the CEO. I've tried being in charge. Doesn't satisfy me. You know what I've also tried? I've tried every drink, every substance, every fun thing in this world. It doesn't satisfy me. You know what he tries that I tell the next generation, but that some adult needs to hear in this room? I've tried every sexual escapade underneath the sun and nothing satisfies me. Why? Because only God satisfies me. He ends the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 13 saying two things. Here's what I know. To fear God and to keep his commands. Church, do you fear God? Because if the answer is yes, it's not about you. But if you make it about you, then you don't fear God. We don't have an accurate view of the glory of God. God deserves the glory whether we give it to him or not. And that is the thing that can either show us we experience him or it shows us that we don't. So be more impressed with godly things and to fix your eyes. I want you to write down Hebrews 12, 2. This is where this fix your eyes language comes from. It's the idea to fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the source and then the beautiful word, and the perfecter. Active, present, perfect tense perfecter. Not only has he perfected it, not only will he perfect it, but he is perfecting it. Because the God that we serve is not just over there. He's not just far above us and we don't need to approach him. No, no, no. He reveals himself to us every moment of every day. He reveals himself to me through the laugh of my two-year-old. Every single time my son laughs, I have an opportunity to say, this is unbelievable. I don't deserve the beautiful son that I have, the amazing wife, the life that I have. I don't deserve any of it. But because God is good and, and, thank, and uh, faithful to me, I get to praise him for everything that he's given to me. 
Church, don't pretend that you don't need a daily reminder of this. Don't pretend that we don't need to do the first Corinthians model and take every thought captive, every single thought and say, is this bringing me closer to the Lord or further away? Because if we are not taking thoughts captive, here's what's happening. You're drifting. And maybe you've drifted so far that you are coming in on empty because of course you are. That's, that's what happens when we don't do anything about our relationship with God. We will drift. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Become quick to aim your praise at God. I love the story of Solomon because it has nothing to do with Solomon. I love the story of the Queen of Sheba because she sees that. She's like, God must have delighted in you to set you on this throne and to bless your nation. Nothing has to do with Solomon. And this story that you're living is not about you. And that can be convicting. Let it be convicting. But also, on the other side of conviction is the glory of God. To know that on the other side of your conviction is the refreshing part and saying, you could have made this about you, but you didn't. And now you're feeling the presence of God in your life. I want you to write down Psalm 29.2 as we close. Psalm 29.2 has been a verse that has been um, really revolutionizing the way I, I worship. <clears throat> and um, I need that because I've been worshiping Jesus for a long time. And I've been doing it corporately for a long time. And now I do it professionally for a long time. Psalm 29.2 simply says... Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. You know what ascribe means? That's oh, so beautiful. It means to give God what is already his. It means that you are called to worship God in the midst of the bad and in the midst of the confusing. You are called to worship God when you don't feel like it. You're called to worship God when it's hard. You're called to worship God when it's amazing because God already deserves it. And that's beautiful because that lets me off the hook because it's not about me. I don't have to think of ways to worship God. He has already given us all of the ways to worship him. All I'm called to do is to be an obedient vessel used by God and say, God, my son, faithfulness of God right in front of me every single day of my life. My wife, faithfulness of God. My job, faithfulness of God. My salvation, faithfulness of your son, Jesus. Church, it's not about you. It can't be about you. It shouldn't be about you. And because of that, we have the opportunity this week to make it all about him. Or we have the opportunity to do nothing and therefore make it all about us. Or make it about our family. Good things. But what if we lived a life that was so in need of, of a savior that everything we did, every conversation we had, every trip to Publix, every trip to a restaurant, we understand that God is wanting to use that for the glory of God. Every single day at our job, every single tough parenting moment, he's wanting to use that. So do you see it? Do you use it yourself? But even if you don't, even if you miss it, guess what? There's another opportunity. Give him the glory on the after part. Because if we're not careful, we'll never ascribe to him the glory to his name. We'll actually siphon the grace of God for ourselves. 
and become so fattened with pride, again, that we walk in here, we try to worship and, and nothing happens. It's the same as if maybe you're walking in with shame and pain of your past and what you've done is you've put um, something around your wrists and you've bound yourself to who you used to be and you come in and you try to worship and try to lift your hands, but you're bound to the same old, same old. When God is not asking you to live a life of stubbing your toe every single day, He's asking us to live a life of victory in Jesus, to know that he is taking care of everything, to know that in your failures, he's wanting you to glorify him. In your successes, he's wanting you to glorify him. Church, today, this week, parent the way that God wants you to parent. Love your spouse the way that God wants you to love your spouse and to know that it is not about you until you make it that way. So, so have you made it all about you? And that question for me, I've been getting ready for this for a couple weeks. That question is haunting me because the answer to that, again, if I do nothing about my relationship with God, the answer is an emphatic, yes, I've made it about me because I have no other choice. 